Hey everybody and welcome to the Fathom and Heavy podcast. My name is Andrew and today my guest is Jake Kilgore, who is a guitarist and vocalist of Northern California-based Chrome Ghost. Now, I had actually not even heard of Chrome Ghost until you know, late last year um, when their new recording, The Diving Bell, showed up in my Bandcamp collection through my monthly Transylvanian Tapes subscription. Um, Listen to it was pretty blown away by it. I have continued to go back to it and uh, absolutely love it. Uh, it's this weird kind of blend of doom and prog, um, sort of the juxtaposition between the heavy and the light, the abrasive, the smooth, um, these beautiful vocal layers and harmonies, um, intricate but really sensible composition, just really, really wonderfully done. So um, I dug back into the entire catalog and it's all great, it's all different, and it's all worth exploring, so definitely check them out. And it was great to connect with Jake, who I had never met or talked with. Uh, he came by a couple of weeks ago. We sat down, we covered all the bases. Um, his formative years exploring different types of creativity until landing on music as something that he would work on seriously. Uh, the evolution of Chrome Ghost, finding a musical partner in drummer Jacob Hurst, uh, a partnership that ultimately has led to this amazing record. And you should listen to the entire episode. Uh, you should listen to every episode all the way through. But this one, we get into some really interesting stuff later, uh, specifically about the diving bell and the band's creative process in general, um, which I just found fascinating. Chrome Ghost has a show in March on the 19th at Harlow's in Sacramento with Yob, and the diving bell is now available on vinyl through Seeing Red Records. So. Go check that out, a couple of really nice variants there. As always, you can email me at fathominheavy at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook and Instagram. Go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, leave a rating. That kind of thing uh, really does help. All right, enough of this. Let's do it. Yeah, so working at Aftershock was unbelievable because I was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a metal fan. Like, this is, like, what I think about all the time. Yeah. And then going there, I was like, oh, like, this world is completely different than the thing that I occupy, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I saw a guy, um, how I really knew, like, I, was, I felt like an alien as I saw a guy with a sh- black shirt, huge white letters that said, Hardcore Aaron Lewis Fan Club. And the guy from Stained. Yeah. And, I mean, Stained has, like, a couple songs where I'm like, yeah, I get why this is popular. Like, it's got something going on. Uh, but most of it is not. <laughs> and then when they played, it, they, people went fucking ballistic. Like, Stained. For Stained. Okay. Yeah. And, I mean, I kind of watched, like, from back behind the stage a little bit. And then, uh, uh, you know, they, Marilyn Manson played, Corn played, um... And I was like, okay, of course these have big crowds. And then Stain played. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. I didn't know that there were this many Stain fans, period. <laughs> Let alone, like, in the Sacramento, like, Northern California area. And then, you know, I'll go see a band that I think is, like, really important. Their, you know, lyrics are smart. It's really well-written yeah. songs. Yeah. And, like, yeah. so much time and effort and care yeah. put into it. And yeah. there's, like, 100 people. 100 people. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Well, they're 
it's the, you know they're missing the monster energy factor mm-hmm that's it I mean I used to go to uh, the Ozfest tours back in the um, late 90s and you know early to mid 2000s I had a friend that worked at a pharmaceutical company that was right near Shoreline Amphitheater, mm, okay which is where those would go every year um, and so he got free tickets every year so I could park at his place we'd walk over and it was just a perfect we had 10th row seats Hmm. And just year after year after year. And I saw some, you know, I mean, Priest played, Maiden played. Um, but all of those other bands you were just talking about also, you know, Korn would play. I don't know if Stained played. It's hard to keep it all straight after all this time. <laughs> yeah. But it was that kind of thing, you know. Um, Voivod played in the parking lot one year. Hmm. Um, they were perhaps like next to Priest and Maiden the most important of all of the, well, and Sabbath, of course, but the most important of all of those bands that would play on that festival. And they were, you know, stuck out in the parking lot playing on, you know, mm. gravel. So it was, it, it was, it was bizarre. Um, well, then it gets into the deep, like, commodification of art and, yeah. you know, what is something less valuable because it's not as easily accessible to people. And, like, I always related to, like, uh, you know, Shelby and I ate McDonald's on the way over here. And judging by, um, you know, popularity or accessibility, you, you would assume that McDonald's is the best food in the world. <laughs> True. But, you know, if you're an alien looking at it, you're like, oh, this must be the, the most perfect food because there's, you know, they've served a billion hamburgers mm -hmm. or something like that. Right. But, of course, <laughs> it's not. Um, and that's kind of what it feels like sometimes. It's like, um, I think people use this fallacy, like a defense... Uh, it's like a YouTube comment thing where like, you know, that attitude where it's like, well, if they suck, why do they have millions of dollars and you don't or something like that? And that's definitely, there's a point to it, but it's kind of a, you know, it curves back a little bit mm -hmm. where, you know, popularity isn't always a, a stamp of quality. No, no, for sure. And the flip side is that, I mean, if stained gets in and under people's skin and emotionally affects them and they love it, I mean, that's okay too. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're sitting in a room surrounded with, you know, Kiss Mermobilia, <laughs> uh, which I can't defend at all, but it's, it's you know, it is what it is for me. And we all have our personal connections to things that, um, that for whatever reason, um, but at the exclusion of what, I guess, is kind of the yeah, and I'm I'm kind of over telling people. I used to be really into telling people that what they liked is bad. Uh -huh. Yeah, but I got over that, and and I got over that because other people were telling me that what I liked was bad. Once I started really becoming passionate about like these oddball bands, like Melvins and stuff. Yeah, that was a really really big one. Um, and I just remember there was one particular person like at my high school who I thought was like. A, as a musician that I looked up to because they were, you know, super proficient at their instrument and stuff, which at that time when I was like 15, I was like, that's, I sucked at guitar and I was like, I want to be really good. You know, there's, we had a bunch of freaks at my high school that were into like tech death. Did you, where, did you grow up in? I grew up in, I still live in Roseville. Roseville. It's a suburb right outside of Sacramento. Yeah. Up in, that's Placer County, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had a bunch of freaks at my high school who were super good at this, like, crazy tech death, like, um, what's the, like, the Between the Buried and Me or, like, Dillinger Escape Plan, right. like, those type of bands. Right. 
And I was always like, wow, these guys are really, really good. And then they would, you know, tell me what you like stinks Uh, or this is whack or whatever. And I was like, oh, this makes me feel really bad. And you're wrong. Uh Because like Melvin's, you know, you listen to Lysol and it's like two notes for the first 15 minutes of the album or whatever. And it's like one of my favorite things ever. Mine too. And it's my favorite Melvin's right. Yeah, and, and, you know, it's very easy to go, like, well, this is boring. Um, but I think, you know, and the guys in my band agree, too, that, like, once I hear, like, shredding and it's, like, crazy, it's all packed into one thing. I'm like, I'm bored. Mm-hmm. I can't keep track of this. I'm bored. Um, this it, I'm not impressed. Um, and so I stop telling people um, that what they like stinks and i kind of just keep it to myself and it's way easier way to live your life like just don't let people be happy if they want to make it your problem like they want (laughs) to talk to you about it then you can be like yeah i really not into this you know but let's go back just a little bit i mean yeah you you were the boss um, here like when did you actually start playing music and kind of what were you into you talked about the melvins yeah, Melvin's is not, like, the first band that I got into. The first band that made me go, like, oh, shit, like, I could do this, like, I want to do this, is uh, the Ramones. Okay. So I got into them when I was 12. I went into middle school, and then um, I don't know where it came from, but I was just, like, I had liked, like, rock music before. Mm-hmm. Like, the biggest, the things that I was really into in elementary school, like, the first CD I ever bought, of course, is, like, Metallica's Black Album. Okay. That's, like, you know, prerequisite. Um, and then I was like, yeah, like, this is cool. This band ACDC is cool. And then I was super into James Brown. Ah, Um, I got a James Brown, like best of double CD that had like 60 tracks on it. Um, and I still love the majority of those songs. He's incredible. Incredible. His band was incredible. Yeah. Oh my God. It's crazy. (laughs) And he's really aggressive too. If you think about it, screaming, he comes out. I love watching live footage of Mm -hmm. him because he's just like, most likely on drugs and just like freaking (laughs) out and people are losing their fucking mind, screaming and you know. But he was so good and his band was so good and he was a taskmaster. I mean, he, you know, he knew what he wanted. Oh yeah. And he directed them and got what he wanted from them. Yeah, he had something, like a, a lightning bolt must have hit his head at some point because, and, like, imbued him with something because he's yeah. just total... There's, you know, those type of people that come out of nowhere and are so wildly different from anything that ever came before them. Like, I'm like, I'm never going to be that, but that's, like, what I wish I could be because, you know, he was treading... He was breaking ground. It was like oh, yeah. there was no roadmap ahead of him. And it's clear that there was no roadmap ahead of him because he ended up just kind of like going off the rails. But for like 15, almost actually 20 years, because I think his first single came out like 56 or something like that. And then up until the mid 70s, he's just like killing it every yeah. single time. Yeah, yeah. So I was really into that. And then when I got into middle school, I. It's funny. Uh, this is not like what I think some cool people would want to say, but I found out about, anyway. about the Ramones best, because yeah. of the shirt. I was like, that's okay. a cool shirt. <laughs> um, and I remember starting to listen to the Ramones and then, um, I was like, this is so cool. Like I'm way into this. And, um, and then I remember like my big, uh, personal milestone was I went to this, smoke shop that actually is still there it's down the street from where i work now and i bought a ramones shirt 
I was like, I'm so fucking cool now. <laughs> like, I stole a pair of my mom's black jeans that fit me. I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I got black jeans now. I got a Ramon shirt. That's like, it's all started coming together. Need the jacket. Just... I never got, I still don't have a jacket, but, <laughs> you know. I have a long torso. They don't look good on got me. Got it. Yeah. Like, above my okay. belly button. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I started really getting into that. And then I started thinking maybe I should play guitar. Mm. And then my best friend at the time was also talking about starting to play guitar. And so I started playing around 12, 13. My mom and dad got me an electric guitar from Best Buy. Mm-hmm. Um, came with like a little tiny amp in it. And I was like, all right. Like I was adamant. I don't want an acoustic guitar. Like I want an electric guitar. Um, there was a little bit of, t- of conversation about that. But I was like, I'm not backing down. Like it has to be an electric guitar. It was a black guitar. I was like, all right, I'm starting off right. Right. Put a bunch of stickers on it. Yeah. And then um, soon after that is when I started getting into Nirvana, which was like, okay. that became like the first like real obsession and a uh, band that I'm, I didn't think about for a long time, but we, uh, we did a uh, Nirvana cover set um, Halloween 2018. Okay. And in preparation for that, I had, to, we made a playlist and then I went back and listened through and was studying the music and then it just kind of like ever since then I've been like back into it and like, uh, but that was huge. Me and my, my best friend at the time were just learning all the Nirvana songs that we could. He had like a little tiny kid's drum set. Like it's not even a first act drum set. It's literally like was from Toys R Us or something. Mm -hmm. It was absolute garbage. (laughs) And we, I still have recordings of these somewhere. We started recording like Nirvana covers and like coming up with our own stuff. It makes lo-fi music like, look like a shining diamond it's the worst shit you've ever heard <laughs> some of those nirvana demos were pretty lo-fi too yeah well that's what we were listening to yeah, that's right. when we're like oh this is this shit this is so cool yeah. and so there's recordings of me at 13 with me and my buddy doing like floyd the barber mm. and like stuff off of bleach right and then he ended up getting the uh with the lights out the box set mm-hmm. right and burned me all copies of all the CDs. And that's got the demos and all the rehearsals. Totally. Yeah. 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 And all the unreleased songs. Yeah. And we were even getting into like the weird unreleased tracks. And we're like, this one's cool. We'll do covers of this. And so we would, I would play guitar most of the time. And he would play drums most of the time. Even though I think he was better at guitar than I was. I was just so bad at the drums that somebody had to do it. <laughs> and uh, that kept me afloat for a really long time. And then, um, honestly, in a really weird way, I learned so much about music from Wikipedia. So we had dial-up internet, so I couldn't stream videos or or download. I didn't even know how to download, like, MP3s or anything. And so I would go on, like, the Nirvana Wikipedia page, and then I would read all these, like, related bands. I'm like, oh, who's this? So I had read about Melvins before I even heard them. And then that's really when it start like I have those recordings from way back when and you can tell pinpoint like the point in my life when I started listening to Melvin's because uh-huh. all of a sudden the riffs like changed <laughs> it's kind of funny because I we you know moved last year and I, in moving I kind of uncovered some CDs that hadn't moved in a couple years okay. and one of them was this demo thing and I started playing it and I was like this is hilarious like this is like Houdini era Melvin's uh-huh. done really poorly <laughs> Uh, and the first Melvin song that I really connected with or that blew me away was Boris. Okay. So I was going to ask, like, you're coming into the Melvins. They had already 
I mean, they had already been through all sorts of different, totally, yeah. Uh, you know, eras and iterations and and styles it shifted so much. I mean, when I got into them, it was like right at the time of of Boris, and that's like Bullhead and that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, um, so I was kind of I hung with that as they as they shifted over the years. But you were you got into them well yeah. after that. So they oh all, yeah, it was already this massive catalog with all of this weirdness that happened so i was wondering what what did you connect with first and how did how did like the melvins unfold for you it was boris was the first one around the same time i heard boris this was on youtube we finally ditched dial-up internet i think in like 2006 and got like legit internet so i could watch youtube videos yeah which was life-changing in itself because youtube has been like a the endless well for me (laughs) um it was Boris, and as soon as I heard that intro with the drop A guitar, I was like, what the fuck is yeah. this? I've ne- I'd never heard anything like it. And then quickly after that, I heard um, Funeralopolis by Electric, Electric Wizard. Wizard yeah. Which, you know, the intro, you're like, yeah, this is kind of cool, mm-hmm. you know? And then it's this huge bloom of, like, crazy loud guitars. And I was like, oh, okay, so this is a thing. And then I was like reading like, oh, what is doom metal? Like this kind of stuff. Uh Um, Those two songs in particular were really big. And then like each year I would kind of discover something else. And I'm listening to tons of other stuff in the meantime, but not that all of that stuff is more uh, peripheral in terms of what it added up to. But there's like a direct lineage of songs that I heard to get me to where I am now. Sure. And Boris is definitely the first one that got me into, like, Bullhead, uh, Houdini, uh, Ozma, Gluey Porch Treatments. Yeah. And then Lysol wasn't until a couple years after that. I think I just couldn't find it on YouTube. Okay. And then I think within a year after I really started listening to them, they came out with um, A Senile Animal, which Mm -hmm. was the first big business Melvin's record. Right. And I distinctly remember walking to the record store, buying the CD... Walking back home, like looking at all the liner notes, I'm like, damn, I can't wait to listen to this, (laughs) which is really fun. And I miss doing stuff like that um, because it was really fun. I was like walking through, cutting through this creek area, just like looking, unfolding the thing and looking at all the weird art and all that and being like, I wonder what this song's going to sound like. Right. And then I got home and put it on and, uh, you know, first track on that album kicks everything off. And I was like, okay, this is going to be sick. You know, they got the stereo drums. And then from there, I mean, I've gone through, there's only a couple Melvin's releases that I haven't heard, and they're usually like the uh, more obscure ones that are harder to find, Mm -hmm. either streaming or physical copies of, like, I think I maybe listened to Prick, like, one time, and, like, I've never listened to Electro Retard or maybe one other release, but... uh, Yeah, I think Prick, I owned it for years, I got rid of it a couple years ago, but, I mean, that was one that... You're not going to go back and listen Correct. to it. Correct. Yeah, that's the vibe that I was getting. Yeah. I always joke with the guys in my band that they're like, if you want to learn, or if you want to hear what I hear in my head all the time, just listen to uh, Mankey off of The Maggot, which is... That's what I hear. As soon as I pick up the guitar, I'm like, oh, I just want to play that. And we, there's stuff on the new record that I'm like, I hope nobody realizes this is just a Melvin's like rhythm the new chrome ghost record yeah okay <laughs> yeah there's a part in um the song the diving bell uh-huh. that um is just 
And then there's this little da 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 da. They do all these little uh-huh. pickup uh-huh. notes uh-huh. and like send the measure just like one note over into the next one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, please, I hope nobody calls me out because this is just <laughs> like we do a really good job of like disguising the Melvin's worship stuff. Let's not tell anybody. Now. Okay, uh, <laughs> that was just a joke. Yeah. But no, there there's a uh, lot of stuff where I'm like, I hope nobody figures out that this rhythm is just like a Melvin's song. Wearing those influences on your sleeve is, I mean, it's totally acceptable. But we do yeah. a good job because absolutely, you're doing something. Dale Crover is like my favorite drummer, and my second favorite drummer is Jacob Hurst, which is my drummer, because he's a he's a total spaz in a different way. Like Dale Crover, like it's he can play a straight ahead beat, but that's just like not how his brain works, right? Right. And uh, Jacob is the same way. Like I'll give him a Melvin's riff and he will just like put something completely different on it. And then it starts to change the context slowly yeah, and then uh-huh. different vocals, different bass parts. And I'm like, okay, we're safe. Like, <laughs> you know, it's it, like, it, ta- it's like taking a, a, a chicken nugget and putting it in a, like something else. And like, you don't, there's no chicken nugget in there. I promise. Well, no, yeah. there's nothing to see here. But that um, became... That's been a big influence. And there's tons of Melvin stuff that I love but doesn't inspire me uh-huh. in that same way at all. And then there's some stuff where I'm like, these guys are fucking gods. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, no, it's... I think the thing for me is that there is some inconsistency. And, like, I know when I hear their stuff that I connect with, you know, it just... It, it's right there. Yeah. Um, but it's it's inconsistent, like I said. And I'll go see them play, and sometimes it's perfect. It's exactly... It, it hits that spot and other times it's a complete disconnect for me um, I've been lucky I think <laughs> that I've I every time I've seen them I've really enjoyed it but it's only a it's a numbers game you yeah. can only see somebody perform so many times before you're gonna be like that one wasn't as good uh-huh. you know? yeah they're it good is. right now they're great I mean Steve McDonald yeah he's uh, awesome it's awesome and uh, I love Red Cross and where he had come from and um, so it's kind of a treat to have him playing with them um, and have dale now playing with red cross oh okay uh, is equally cool he's such a fucking he's such a cool guy his solo record was good too dale's the fickle finger of fate or whatever i I have a seven inch from like uh, Hmm. 25 years ago but i don't have oh this one came out a couple years ago okay yeah no i don't know it yeah it's uh it's cool it's like a you can tell that his neighbor is ty siegel and you can tell that they're neighbors because it's okay. like it's like like it's like a cool like garage rocky album. Uh-huh. And I'm pretty. I think he plays drums. Like drum, he does everything. Like he sings on it. He plays guitar. He plays drums. Yeah. Those guys are just super cool. They've been really nice to me every time I've met them because they're like one of the only bands that I'll like. I like lock up. Like, ah. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, right I, I lived in Los Angeles for a little bit, and I worked at this pizza place that was. Uh, it still is there. It's next to uh, Amoeba. Mm-hmm. And I remember Buzz coming in one time, and I turned to my coworker. I was like, "Nobody go talk to that guy. I'm gonna go talk to this guy." <laughs> and he was there with his wife and like somebody else. And I, I didn't, I didn't embarrass myself, but I was just like, I could have not done that. I was like, "Hey, man, like, how can I help you?" Also, you're like my hero. Yeah. And then I saw Jared from Big Business, and Melvin's there with his wife too. And I was, I did the same thing. And they're like the only people that I'm like. And we've even played with Big Business a couple times okay. now. Yeah. And I'm still like, uh, hey, just you know, kinda, I feel like Beavis in the corner. I'm like shaking <laughs> and acting all weird. Fanboy out just a little bit. Yeah, but I've that seen other awesome. people, you know, 
circling all the way back to the monster energy effect i've seen uh you know when i worked at aftershock i was like oh there's the guys from corn like over there i like corn they're a cool band they got a lot of stuff that's really bad they have some really cool stuff and i saw them and i was like cool but then you put some like a you know more obscure artist in front of me and i'm like oh mm-hmm. hello you know <laughs> but um, uh melvin's I, have uh, i still listen to them every once in a while but i'm kind of in this phase right now where i've done i've listened to them so much that i'm just like i don't need to listen to this right now mm-hmm. there's other things for me to hear because i've invested quite a bit of mental energy into like studying what's going on and sure. figuring out why this is so cool so that's always been a really big one um they were my favorite band for a really long time i'm not even sure if i have a favorite band right now that was that was like in terms of leading to this particular band yeah that's like the the one that's the it's a really straight road like melvin's and then anything else that fit in there it was like right to where we're at right now so you're doing this thing with your buddy you're playing nirvana covers that sort Mm -hmm. of thing you discover the melvin's and and then what happens um we were we ended up forming a band in high school the only other band i've ever been in it's called viscera but everyone this was during the height of like emo post-hardcore stuff so everyone thought it was viscera which sounds like a <laughs> it sounds like it sounds way more lame that way and i was always like dude it's not viscera fuck. and it's even the viscera. guy viscera yeah. is a word i viscera. know even the guys in my band didn't get it and they were just like going along with it but we were we were nothing like chrome ghost at all it was like we couldn't figure out what we were going to do because, like, I was into, like, Black Sabbath and stuff at the time. And, you know, Melvin's, the singer, he couldn't sing. He was more of just, like, a talker, yeller, you know, half-assed kind of hold a tune kind of guy. But he was, like, he's, like, a Chris Farley dude. He's, like, bigger, crazy hair, would jump off the stage and run around and, like, scream and, like, grab people and stuff. And the bass player was like this incredible funk bass player. Like ah, okay. he was like a prodigy. Cause just like Les Claypool, like right. uh, Victor Wooten, that mm-hmm, kind of guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And could like legitimately pull it off, which was bananas for being how young we were. And then my buddy who uh, was, I was working on the Nirvana stuff. He was the drummer for that. And we had like, <laughs> we had uh, a, a funk song. There was a punk song. There was, uh, like, almost a, a soul, I think of, like, a, a Otis Redding chord okay. progression or something, mm-hmm. something like that. And then towards the end, we had one song that was, it was incredibly clear that I had just heard my first High on Fire song. <laughs> and so it was like, like, this crazy Matt Pike riff, um, which is super funny to think about now, um, how, you know... It's it's like sticking a pin. That's when I heard yeah, Rumors right. of War by High on right, Fire. I right, ripped that off. Right. Um, and we played a couple shows, but we didn't have our shit together at all. We were really terrible. And I will readily admit to it. There's somewhere on YouTube, deep, deep, deep in the minds of YouTube, there's some video, I think. What was uh, the name of this band? This was, this was Viscera, this was yeah. Right. Or Viscera, Viscera, as you would. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look up this. Area. I hope you don't. I hope you can't find it. <laughs> You're just going to get videos of people's guts. Okay. But uh, it's not worth any any human being subjecting themselves to that. Yeah. Um, and then it broke up after the singer moved away and uh, it kind of just fizzled out. And so then, like what like what year are we talking? What, what? I think this this was like 2008, 2009. Okay. All right. No, maybe 2007, 2008 because 
in my junior year, the band wasn't a thing anymore. So it's my freshman and sophomore okay, year. Okay, this is of high school. school. You're a teenager yes. then, yeah. Um, so I had an excuse to be really bad, at least. Well, that's when you're supposed to be. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then it kind of it fizzled out, and then I kept trying to do uh, music with my buddy, the drummer, but um, I'm sure everybody knows somebody like this. He ended up, his behavior started getting erratic. Um, I've, you know, being a very naive person, I have no clue what's going on. And then I think which is a critical factor is he started taking Accutane, which is a really powerful acne medication. Okay. And it's been linked to all kinds of like mood swings and stuff like that. And, uh, suicidal ideation and things like that. And he started, um, acting weirder and weirder and weirder. I remember one time, this sounds like a fake story, but it's 100% true. I went over to his house and he's like, Hey, come check this out. And this is super weird. Uh, he goes up to his bed, pulls the cover up off the bed, and there's an Uzi submachine gun on his bed. A real one. A real one. And he's like, do you want to hold it? And I said, no. (laughs) No. And he's like, yeah, check this out. And I was like, where did you get this? He's like, oh, it's my dad's. I was like, why the fuck does your dad have this machine gun? And why is it in your bed? Yeah. I don't... (laughs) It was so weird. And there was all kinds of stuff going on. And then, um... We started talking less and less because I was just getting super freaked out by his behavior. And then he would start, I would pick him up and he would have cigarette burns all over his legs. Mm. And then uh, he drove me back to his house one time and he almost like almost crashing the car. Now I realize he's nodding off on heroin. Okay. Um, so he started getting into drugs. Um, I'm pretty sure that the singer in our band is the one that introduced him to... It's a total, like, uh, PSA story. He started smoking pot, mm-hmm. started doing um, prescription medication or yeah. whatever, and then it ended up being, like, smoking heroin. And um, this is... He's still alive, um, but it's, like, totally... The relationship's, like, beyond disrepair at this yeah. point. And that's always been, like, a big... Um, something in the back of my head all the time where I'm like, man, this is, this was a person that was my best friend from like age nine to 16, which is really big, uh, span of time, you know, especially those uh, years, those formative years. Totally. And we were, it was, it was fractious at some points, but never between us. It was like our families had problems with each other, but we were always, you know, we're going to be friends, you know, creatively working together and all this stuff we would make like silly videos together and um god it ended up just i I watched somebody kind of implode in real time and uh that was the end of that and i didn't play in a band again in until chrome ghost there was there's this is my first real band okay and i'm not in any other bands right now this is my number one focus so did you have an idea well, what was the the period of time between that band stopping and Chrome Ghost starting? That's age 16 to 22. Okay, so it's significant. Yeah, it's, and I even stopped years. playing guitar for uh, a year, I think. Because I, I also uh, had big aspirations of like filmmaking. Okay. And so once the band thing kind of... The band breaking up coincided with me taking a really big interest in filmmaking and making videos and stuff like that and i was always thinking that i'm gonna direct my first feature film when i'm 21 Mm -hmm. super ambitious and you know oftentimes more ambitious than i had follow through so i had a ton of video projects that never got finished and that was kind of the curse of my creative output is i would 
get the ball rolling, huge ideas, really passionate. And then the minute that it starts hitting roadblocks, I'm kind of like, ah, fuck it. We'll move on to something else, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I played guitar a little bit, but there was probably a period of a year where I didn't touch the guitar from like 18 to 19, I think. I didn't really pick it back up until I was moving away. I moved to Los Angeles at 21 and I was like, I'll bring my guitar. It'll give me something to do when I'm, cause I was living by myself. Um, you just needed a change or were you going down for school or work? I went down there to do video stuff. Okay. Um, right. I used to go on this, uh, filmmaking forum called Indie Mogul. It was like a DIY, you know, they would make tutorials on how to make, you know, you shoot somebody and blood explodes out of their gunshot right, wound. It right. was that kind of thing. It was yeah. really cool. And it was super useful for me because they had um, filmmaking theory, videos, lighting techniques, all this kind of stuff. I was really interested in the uh, makeup effects. I was always mm-hmm. thought that was really cool. I, when I was a kid, I would read the books in the library about like how to make scars and yeah. you know, crazy shit. And uh, Call Tom Savini. Yeah. Seriously, that was I when when we first started making stuff, it was all let's go buy condoms, fill them with blood. Right, right. You tape it to the chest <laughs> and you you hot glue a washer or super glue a washer onto it tied to a string and you pull the string and the blood gushes okay, out of it. Right, right. Doesn't actually look that good. No. Um, but what we found out works really well is you buy a little Hudson sprayer for like, you know, you put weed killer in it. Okay, yeah. But yeah. you put um, fake blood and water in it and then you can have it like Ah, arterial right. spray yeah. and if you're in a pinch what i found is really really useful is buy clear vinyl tubing from uh-huh. ace hardware uh-huh. and then you tape it up to wherever you need and then you have somebody kneel behind them you fill it with blood and then you blow the blood out and it goes <laughs> and it's it works really well we did that a lot more and is better too totally yeah as much as you can fit as in the tube as much as you can fit in the tube yeah, yeah. and uh <laughs> as as much breath as you can get to blow it all yes. out yeah so i was getting more and more interested in movies um and that occupied most of my creative output i moved down to los angeles and it had the effect the undesired effect of wiping out my desire to do anything okay it killed it for you yeah but yeah. i was busy i was working as a production assistant on video stuff okay. um it was super useful. I got to see how things actually work, how sets work. What does a producer do? What does a you know script supervisor do? Stuff yeah, like that. Right. Um, and it's, it was mostly um, non-narrative stuff, you know, like internet content. Um, no, I didn't go to work on movies or anything. Mm-hmm. But I started playing guitar during that time. I was living in this really shitty boarding house thing in Glendale, which is not like a happening spot. Mm-hmm. It's very quiet. And I lived in the sporting house with a bunch of people that I had no interest in talking to whatsoever. They were really weird. One guy looked like Jonah Hill, but he had like a really <laughs> bad, he would come out without his shirt on. He had a really bad, uh, AK 47 tattooed on his belly Wow. and a bunch of other like shitty tattoos. Okay. And I was like, this is not my type of person. Right. Like, it's not who I'm looking to hang out with. Right. And I was upstairs with no air conditioner. This is in the summer of 2000 f- spring of 2014. And I'm just miserable. And I'm like, oh, I guess I could just like play guitar. And then I started recording stuff. And by that time, I had already, you know, my metal vocabulary had expanded a lot. So I'm listening to Sleep and um, 
weirdly, I got into like Danzig and uh, the other inspirations for me wanting to record because I was playing acoustic guitars. I really liked the um, the first Bonnie Bear record a lot. Oh, mm-hmm. And uh, I was thinking, maybe, well, maybe there's some way I can like mash these things up, uh, you know? Okay. And that's kind of where it started. And you know, I do harsh vocals now, but I wasn't able to do those before, and it doesn't sound good like over acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. I was looking a lot at bands like Torch that are super heavy, but have vocals that I can perform because I don't have a deep voice. I have this like puberty thing where my voice still cracks, even though I'm you know closer to thirty than not. And my vocal range is kind of around where Steve from Torch's vocal range is. Like, I can sing, like, almost any Torch song. So I was like, okay, this is, like... <laughs> I can do this. This is where I'm at. Right. This is where I'm comfortable. Right. And I really like this. And so I was looking for other bands that kind of do a similar thing. And, I, and then I started thinking, well, I can write something like this. And the music that I wrote doesn't sound anything like Torch or Sleep. It's It came out really weird. But I think that's because it was written without a band. It was mm-hmm. just me writing it in my room kind of for my own amusement. And I also was trying to figure out how to write a song, period, because I didn't really understand besides uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, sure. bridge. Right. So a lot of the songs have weird structures. They have weird rhythms because there was no drummer to confuse. I could just play whatever I wanted. And I did that for a while, about a year and then I started thinking, um, I'm not really interested in staying here in Los Angeles. By that time, I had moved to Hollywood with a really good friend of mine who now still lives there. But we were just kind of miserable. We lived in a studio apartment together, and I had a dog in like a 400 square foot room. Mm. And it just was, it was, just, it was, we were having fun and we were doing lots of cool stuff, but it just kind of sucked. Yeah. Um, and I felt unfulfilled. And at the time, Shelby, my wife, was living in Japan. And so I was just super isolated, at least emotionally, because you're surrounded by a bazillion people sure. when you live there. But it doesn't really matter, in my opinion. I mean, in some ways, that makes you feel more alone. Yeah. Look yeah. at all these people I don't know. Right. And uh, I had been posting the, the songs online, just kind of like, check it out, you know, I'm making stuff. And then um, I had heard a demo for this band called Dive. It was like a hardcore band, but a really weird hardcore band that wasn't typical. And it turns out uh, one of my friends, Matt, was the bass player in the band. And I was listening to the band, and I I had been thinking, I kind of want to go, I'm going to move home. And I was like, I want to start a band. And I was listening to the drums, and I was like, I like the way this drummer thinks. You know, who is this guy? And I, apparently we had already been friends on Facebook for years, and Ah. I didn't know about Uh it. We went to high school together. He's a year younger than me. We never really talked at all we knew kind of some of the same people this is jacob and i sent him a facebook message saying hey i'm moving back in you know six weeks here's some music that i've been working on if you want to start a band like let me know oh i told him uh yeah i've been recording under the name chrome ghost which it's honestly for me it was like a placeholder name his reaction was he they've already got a good band name so he was he was like okay i'm into this already likes the name good start and he listened to the stuff and liked it a lot. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And so the first Chrome Ghost practice was the first time that I had ever really met Jacob. And we were in his mom's in his mom's house in this really weird little long room. It was, it was like Pat, you had to go through the laundry room to get to this little long rectangular room. Yeah. 
It looked like somebody took a bedroom and stretched it too thin, you know? <laughs> it's like the shape of a candy bar. I don't know how to, else to describe it. A long, it. narrow and room. And a, a, uh, a drum set just fit perfectly in the in the very end of it. Okay, perfect. And he, it was claustrophobic. You know, there's amps on either side of the wall. And the sound is just shooting straight down. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> but we started playing, um, and he started picking things up really fast. Okay. Turns out that we're really similar in a lot of ways. Uh, we think of the same things about a lot of stuff. He was straight edge too, which I was like, oh, that's really cool. But he's also not a dick about it, right. which is great, you know. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how it should be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're practicing always two days a week from the, from the very beginning, which I think is really important because we put a lot of work into um, nailing stuff down. And Jacob is very diligent. And we both benefit greatly from the routine and the okay, right. the schedule of right. we're always going to be practicing on this day and this day. And I feel completely out of sorts when it doesn't happen. I feel like something's wrong. But we started out, We our plan was we're going to get good at these songs so that we can uh, record them, make an album. That was my kind of my only goal at the time because it was just myself and Jacob. And we did. We did exactly that. We we worked really hard on it. I found out that he's really uh, he excels at being kind of an editor of music. Okay. And so from the get go, the kind of process for the band is I go out and I find all these things, these ideas, and I bring them, and I kind of lay them all on the table. And he goes like, "Oh no, yeah, okay. yeah, that's good." And then even after that. We'll take what I've, what what I've given him, and uh, it kind of gets twisted and and things interlock in different ways, and it's gotten more and more refined over the years to now where we're really getting like deep and repeating motifs and all this kind of right. stuff, and all of that comes from his power as uh, kind of an editing force in the band. Okay. So relating it to filmmaking, I'm the director. I go out and get all the footage, right. and then it's just it can be a huge mess. And then I give it to the editor, and then he... It's sometimes painful for me, because he's mm-hmm. very direct. He, he doesn't... He's like, I don't like that. I'm like, oh, fuck. And we... Does it ever happen where you say, no, I love this part, and it's got to stay? It's happened, like, a couple times. The only example that I can think of off the top of my head is more of an aesthetic choice. It's in uh, the first song on The Diving Bell, which is uh, Waltz in the Shadow of the Hillside... That's actually a hill that I died on because uh, I thought was thinking of different names, and Jacob was like, "No, it's the perfect name." Okay, I was like it's really long. No, it's the perfect name. Okay, there is a kind of totally psychedelic part in the middle where I'm. Uh, there's a refrain. I'm singing the verse. I'm singing the, the melody and the lyrics of the third verse, kind of stretched out halftime, um, and the vocals are really distorted i did them through like a telephone mic and Mm. like a guitar amp and then there's clean vocals uh underneath but they've been heavily affected so it's like trailing crazy swelling weird noise and uh i was like this is this is it and jacob goes no i don't i don't think so you know (laughs) he's he, he he wanted it to be more legible or um discernible and i said i don't know like this is something that's being repeated they've already heard it before just in a new context now and that was one of the only things that i just would not give up on i said like i i got joe our bass player on my side and 
It's like, you're outvoted, man. That never happens, too. Okay. We, we rarely have to move things to committee like that. Now I think it's I think it sounds incredible. It's just really cool. Um, I know, I mean I know what you're talking about. Yeah, then you know <laughs> it's super spacey and yeah. trippy, and yeah. that's exactly what I wanted. Um, I think if we did it his way, it would have been good because his ideas are never bad. They're just not always what you know the artiste myself mm-hmm. deems as the most valuable. Yeah, but most of the time, about that that kind of took it to another place, uh, another level almost, and just gave it. Um, a new dynamic that I thought interjected something special right there. Hmm. Can you tell him that? I will, I'll tell him that, yeah. <laughs> Are you listening Let's to this? Let's call him right now. <laughs> but most of the time, he's he has really good taste, and he really focuses a lot on um, context and how things lead into one another, right. the interconnectedness of the song, if I want to be less verbose about it. Um he cares really deeply about that, and you can tell that he cares really deeply about that with the way that he drums, because the drums are so bespoke for each part. Mm-hmm. It's really syncopated, um, and when it's not syncopated, it's because I'm repeating the same thing over and over again, and he changes it up every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And he cares a lot. I mean, he's he drums like a fucking monster on this album, um, and not even like he's bashing the drums super hard and monster. It's he's The way that he approached it is so unlike... I think what most drummers would do and uh, from from the beginning we started forming a really strong connection where I very very rarely have to tell him what I want a drum part to be like and the fun of it is uh, giving him something really weird that I don't think is that weird Um, and having him react to it Hmm. and figure it out and then once he's figured it out come up with a drum part for it okay so it's kind of like brain games. Um, our bassist, Joe, he's incredible, and he'll always downplay his role in the band. But I think that's because he, Jacob and I have such a strong connection. I could play an entire show staring right at him. Mm-hmm. And Joe's usually, he's kind of orbiting. He's like a satellite. He goes around, he comes back around, he does his own thing. But that's, I think, what he's more comfortable with and how he focuses through the performance. Right. But... We, I mean, the primary driving force in our performances is eye contact. Like, okay, yeah, and you know, jamming too is just like I can I can look at Jacob and somehow he knows that I'm gonna turn the distortion off and do something more rhythmic, and he's gonna jump on and it's really weird. I think it's ninety percent conditioning. Mm-hmm. We've been working on it, and we kind of know what to mm-hmm. anticipate from the other sure. person, and ten percent is just we're kind of coming from the same headspace somehow. And there's a, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes we go shoot off in different directions. But, um, in terms of compositionally, he's really easy to work with. And when he's not easy to work with, it's because he's trying to convince me of something better. And you can see in the evolution of the band, choir of the low spirits, our debut album, right? Mostly written by me. That was 2016, 2016. Yeah. Um, so that was all the songs that I had written by myself. There's not a single song that okay. we wrote together. All right. So all the drums are his. We switched bass on the album. So I played bass on half and he played bass on other half of the songs. So it was really just the two of you? Just the two of us. Some people might think, because we, uh, we had a, our former bassist, Cole, join the band after Choir of the Low Spirits was recorded. And then he played our first show with us. And, and uh, I can't remember exactly how long. He was in the band from 2016 to the end of 2017 
Um, I think some people might see if they're going through Bandcamp, they go. You jump ahead to Reflection Pool, mm-hmm. and there's a third person now, mm-hmm. and the, it sounds wildly different. Mm-hmm. But those are just the first two songs that Jacob and I wrote together, where it was that process of me bringing him something, okay, and then he it you know he had those are the songs he had a really big hand in shaping, and those two songs on Reflection Pool are really weird because Rosewater Drowning is this strange has all these weird syncopated stabs and stuff in it. It switches time signatures in the riff from 4-4 four, four to 3-4 and all this other stuff. That's when Jacob started getting in, involved. Okay. And the second song, uh, Miss in the Clearing, is only two parts. There's a four-chord progression, you know, that's the first three minutes of the song, and the last three minutes of the song is the same riff being played in different ways mm. with the drums changing underneath and stuff like that. And that huge jump was that connection from myself and Jacob because the other member of our band was very talented, but I'm, I'm definitely a leader in the band and they fulfilled a follower um, role, which is not an insult in any way. I mean, this is a person that I'm not friends with anymore at all. Ah, So I'm not, you know, I don't have to tread lightly, but I'm going to, because it's the right thing to do. That's fine. Yeah. That's just how it was. And it's, it's, you know, I will stick up for things that I know are right for the band sometimes i'm the one convincing jacob and then a lot of the time with this other person it was like here's your bass part Mm -hmm. this is the melody that i've been working on can let's work together with harmonies why don't you try this and we'll go from there because you can see we go on to the next ep which is shallows Shallows. the whip is like a huge big song that was another step in in a new direction yeah with more kind of little interconnected parts and then um the mirror is a weird song it's just like it started out as uh we were like mimicking like pretending to play a godflesh song okay and that uh vocal cadence is super like godflesh mm-hmm. like i've been listening to um a world led only by fire which mm. is my favorite godflesh album it's incredible and it was kind of a joke song because it's so it's kind of anti chrome ghost it's there's there's some clean pretty parts at the end but it's just like this punishing you know one riff song basically and ava um, joined you guys yes for that. that really i think that that lended quite a bit of weight to the song where uh we needed it because the shallows ep the whip we recorded with the three of us and Joe Cooper, who is our bass player now, mm-hmm. engineered it. And so that's how we kind of first started working with Joe. Um, and Joe was actually our first choice for a bass player in the band, but he just wasn't available at the time. And then I thought, well, I have this other friend who's a really good musician. He plays like folk music, like Fleet Foxes type of stuff. Mm-hmm. But we'll see how it works out. And it worked out for the time. So we recorded that with the three of us. And then by the time we went to record... The mirror, it was just me and Jacob again. Uh. Our bass player had left uh, under the auspice of going on a trip and never came back. (laughs) Which ultimately was a huge blessing. Uh, Um, And we really, uh, that further solidified the relationship that Jacob and I have because we had a show in the books. And our bass player left and then we were like, oh, he's not coming back. You know, there's a huge shit show before that. This is ugly 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 situation and all this crazy shit and then it kind of just i was like fuck you know back to being the two of us and i was like you know what fuck this 
Like, we're going to play the show just the two of us. And it was with Body Void and uh, Well Tesser, this sludge band from Florida, who are really good. And I was like, there's no way that we're going to cancel this. What are they? Well? Well Tesser. W-E-L-T-E-S-S-E-R. Okay. Um, they were so fucking sick. I remember seeing them sound check, like the bass player had the most like horrific bass sound ever. And I was like, you see, that's what it's going to sound like the whole show. (laughs) And it was sick. It was really cool. But I was like, holy shit, like this is so gnarly. Um, and so (laughs) I brought every amp and cab that I had and we played the show, just the two of us. And it was not for the audience's benefit necessarily, because we definitely were missing something. But it was for our benefit because we kind of proved that we could do it. We still put on a good show. We did everything. We performed to the best of our ability. But it was more of a kind of to steal the nerves and understand that this was going to continue. Right. Um, Right around the time that Joe Cooper joined the band on bass, we were recording um, The Mirror. And I had asked... um, I knew that our bass player wasn't obviously going to be on the recording. So I had reached out to Ava because I love her voice at yeah. church is an incredible band. They're really good people. And Chris from church is one of a handful of people who has been instrumental in just like supporting us and like noticing that we were there, which is really hard to find somebody that will actually uh, vouch yeah. for you and, and understand what you're doing. Also, I will note a fat, I mean, have a heavy alum. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> I, it was a long shot. I was like, Ava's not going to do this, but I'll reach out to her. And she was totally receptive to it. She sounds awesome on it, too. She sounds crazy. Yeah. There's yeah. one part where um, there is... Uh, she messed up. There's It's uh, a change in the song where she just screams like, No! On this one hit. She came in early. Mm. And then she was like, Oh, fuck. And I was like, Don't delete that. Because she started singing the verse too early. And we left it on there, and it's it's my favorite part of the song okay. for sure. Okay. But the Shallows EP is super dark to me. I don't like I, the listening to it is not as fun as listening to Reflection Pool because we are I in particular was so bummed out during that time. Well, and so it, I wanted to ask you about that because there is just a little a little blurb on your Bandcamp page just talking about how that was born of frustration or, mm. or something to that effect. And then there's in, you know, in the mirror, there's that line, I'm sick of me, yeah. which that's kind of a, like a get under your skin kind of a line. I mean, it's so simple, but I think everyone at some point relates to that a hundred percent. And just hearing that, um, it's like, yeah, you know, I've been there. I've been there recently. <laughs> yeah. I remember, um, writing the lyrics down on a piece of paper and I left it on the coffee table and Shelby goes, um, can we, t- are you okay? Can we talk about this? And I was so embarrassed. It's like, honey, it's the art. It's okay. Yeah. That is a line that is, it's straddling. It's almost stupid, but it's just at the most direct that I could be mm-hmm. about it. Cause that's the song is just like ugly and it's, brutal and uh, i think that around that time i had listened to the band hell for the first time Ah, too so i was like listening to hell and god flesh and i was like you know what we should have a song where i only do like guttural vocals i was really sick when we recorded that too and you can hear it in the uh the clean section at the end yeah my voice is like breaking apart well i'm because i couldn't talk but I could scream. So I had these crazy, amazing, it was the best my harsh vocals have ever been because my throat was just destroyed. Right. I remember um, 
telling Ava, hey, I brought some hot water and some tea. We can have some tea because my throat really hurt. And then we were just sitting in the studio and she's like, this is not very good tea. <laughs> it was a really <laughs> shitty lemon Lipton tea or something and I had honey in it. And I hate tea. So ah, for me okay. to drink it is like, okay. something's wrong. It was just a weird recording. The, the EP was weird because we recorded... Not only did we record the first song with a different person in a different studio, it was like seven months prior because we didn't know what we were going to do with it. We were thinking about releasing it as a single. So it was just really disjointed, whereas Reflection Pool was recorded in a single day ah, from top right. to bottom. Okay. It's it's a cool release, but it doesn't, in retrospect, it just doesn't feel like us. Like I don't feel, Jacob will tell you the same thing. It just feels off i think and i that's totally the the biased emotional response that we have to having been the ones that made it and so it always kind of felt like a weird punctuation in the career of the band is like we went to this we went we just went took a detour and yeah it's it's still a strange listen sometimes Mm. i think do you have a hard time going back to i mean does it take you back because it sounded like you were dealing with some you know, some personal stuff or something at that that point that you were channeling through some of that music. Does it is it hard for you to go back and listen to that? Does it take you back to whatever you were experiencing in your life at that point? Um, probably. I don't know if that necessarily affects me that much because I spend a lot of time just reflecting and thinking back on stuff, anyways. Yeah. Uh, I kind of live in my head. I didn't grow up going out to shows. I didn't grow up. You know, I I was in trouble a lot with my parents and I was grounded a lot. So there was three summers of my life where I was grounded the entire time. I had wow. to be at home alone. Wow. So I spend a lot of time thinking about stuff like that because of stuff like that, yeah. where I got put yeah. in a situation where I just kind of left my own devices. And so it doesn't, it's not painful to revisit. It's just, it's more of like, it just didn't turn out the way that we wanted it to. Okay. Not that it's bad, but I would have never guessed that that's where, where we would have gone with another EP. And in a more real way, I'm dealing with the fallout of that era of the band now because uh, the former bass player moved back. Mm. And now I see him walking around my neighborhood and it pisses me off because um, there's all these uh, unresolved issues. It's... Uh, a classic case of unrequited love, mm-hmm. you know. I'm a very romantic person, <laughs> and I view my friendships as really serious things, you know. Where I'm sacred things, totally. Yeah, and that's that's why the band is sacred to me. I don't. I focus so much energy on it because it's like this, you know, pillar that supports what I'm, you know, who I am and who you are. Right. Um. So in a real way, you know. Um, I've had this shock to my system of this person coming back into my life where I have absolutely zero contact desired on my part, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of, the shock is wearing off a little bit. I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to keep moving on with my life. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and that, I mean, that kind of brings us up to where we are now. The diving bell. I had never heard of Chrome Ghost. Not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I do the Bandcamp subscription with, Transylvanian tapes, mm. right? So yeah. whatever I pay, six, six bucks or six dollars sixty-six yeah. cents, <laughs> I get stuff that shows up, you know, in my collection. And um, sometime late last year, Chrome Ghost shows up, and it's one of those things that I just wasn't—I had no idea what to expect. 
and listened to it once, and I wasn't sure what I had just heard. And so it's one of those ones that was um, interesting enough that I went back and went back and went back. Hmm, and, cool. And I'm continuing to do that. I mean, it's the kind of thing. It's the way the songs are structured. And, and what all you've told me has been fascinating and really illuminating in terms of how you work um, and how you work with Jacob. And it makes total sense. Um, and I feel like this, you know, having explored this record and gone back and dug into your older stuff the trajectory is interesting kind of the left turn with the shallows makes sense also this one feels a little different it possibly feels like the most realized what's your response to that how did this come to be what are your feelings about it now how is it doing for you i agree in that it's the most realized one um so far my other comment would be wait for the next one uh-huh. um, but even this album had kind of a contentious uh, uh, gestation period. So the song, The Diving Bell, um, the first probably two and a half minutes of that are some of the oldest things that were written for the band. Okay. Um, right when the song kicks in, there's that big, it's like almost like a sleep or like a pallbearer riff right. with that cool descending or ascending guitar part um that's really old i have video of jacob and i playing that in 2015 16 Mm. um and that song in particular has gone through tons of different iterations at one point it had this really trippy rhythmic almost tool type of guitar riff it's gone through a bunch of weird phases some phases that we kind of were toying with, like did things as a joke, mm. are now what's in the song. Okay. Um, I remember Jacob actually reminded me of this. There is um, just this what I would refer to as the Russian circles part of the song, where it's this really rhythmic, and then there's these cool chords, weird chord progression. Yeah. Those exact same chords are the basis of the really long, like, shoegazy part of the song. Okay. Those exact same chords. And the reason that we figured that out is, or the reason that we did that is because we were practicing the, what I call the Russian circles part. And a friend came into our practice room to grab something. And he didn't have earplugs in, so we're like, okay, we'll we'll just be quiet. Ah, okay. And uh, (laughs) we started playing those chords as if it was a jazz song. You know, I threw a bunch of reverb on it. And I was like, oh, okay, there's something happening here. And so in a way, the album came together a lot like how a lot of the songs have come together, which is just experimentation Mm -hmm. and and weird things like that. But we put a huge effort into making the songs have a lot of interconnectedness. They don't necessarily have as much of an overarching connectedness as I would like, but within each song, each song is like its own little, yeah. you know, universe and there's shortcuts everywhere. And a prime example of that is the first song waltz. There's all kinds of crazy shit. The vocal melody for the verses in the beginning. If you listen to um, the riff that kind of breaks up, each verse and dun 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 Right, right. That is the vocal melody played on the guitar uh-huh, uh-huh. in a different octave and uh, formation. That really heavy breakdown 
after the crazy psychedelic part, there's this build build up. Um, that rhythm is the exact same rhythm as the first riff in the song. You know, there's the little like acoustic guitar part in the beginning. Those same chords show up later on in the song. So it's kind of like the way I think about it is you plant a stake in the ground mm-hmm. and then you throw another stake and wherever that lands, you're going to be using those same parts in there in the song at that point. Okay. And then in the middle, you plant another stake and you throw it. And so everything is just a foreshadowing or a precursor mm-hmm. to the next part. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is where we really started to get happy with how things were turning out. So it became, we're taking all these prog influences, you know, yeah. King Crimson sure. and Elder and bands like that. But I often find that those bands don't, they'll mine this beautiful diamond of a piece, mm-hmm. but then they'll throw it away too quickly. Ah, okay. You know, I'm still looking at this thing and you just threw it away. <laughs> right. You know, Elder will have this, some incredible riffs or a melody that's super striking and inspiring. And then it's like, out of here. Yeah. They move on to the next part. Which is cool. I like listening to that. But at the same time, I'm like, please bring it back, you know. One of my favorite parts is actually that middle sort of psychedelic section in in the song, The Diving Bell. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is masterful. And that's a joke. That was the joke part. That's us playing the jazz version of, you know, that other riff. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible. To me, uh, what I was thinking of when we were putting that together is this is like a Boris song because mm. boris does like this beautiful shoegazy stuff better than most bands mm-hmm. have you heard their cover of uh they did a my bloody valentine cover i have not heard that at least i don't know oh that man I what song is it uh i can't remember the name of the song there's an album called yellow loveless it's okay. all japanese bands doing loveless, loveless. by my bloody valentine yeah. and they do a cover um i just the song is just blanking on me right now but their version of it is so like serene and mm. beautiful and they stretch it out you know they add these like rumbling guitars underneath and i was just thinking like man like i want to do something that would make boris like proud <laughs> and i also started listening to my mighty bloody valentine while we were writing this album because i'd never heard them before oh wow okay and jacob is always like you haven't heard this like what the fuck like listen to this i'm like okay i don't know if i like it i don't know <laughs> and then you know i'd end up liking it a lot yeah, yeah well, and this is just honestly the key like what i'm doing is really cool in that part i love playing those chords they're really strange like open beautiful yeah, chords right. i don't right. even know what they are like if my if a buddy of mine watch me play oh that's a suspended ninth or something i'm like i have no fucking Mm. idea what this is Mm. but if you listen to joe's bass parts especially he's just walking all over these really complex chords and pinning down different uh roots of the chord and all this other stuff and changing the context of the melody and he's super funny in that way because kind of how we work together is he he's like this little free spirit he just starts playing all this crazy shit right. and i have to remember what he played for him because he doesn't remember he won't remember <laughs> yeah i have recordings in my phone of, of riffs that he came up with and uh, i have to teach them to him uh-huh because he's i don't remember playing this at all <laughs> so he he's incredible he's super creative and he gets bored really easily so he starts playing you know he wants to be like lou barlow from dinosaur jr mm. or something and play bass like a guitar player. Mm-hmm. So he's always reaching high up on the fretboard for okay. all these yeah. different notes. And that's, 
the the bass playing and the drumming in that section I think are super special because it could be very straightforward, you know, uh, very metered, simpler stuff, but it the section is so long and so slow that adding all this elements that change underneath whatever I'm doing is the fun part. You know? Right. I'm like a cloud and they're like the this the rock shifting underneath it yeah, or something I mean, like that's, that's very strange that's where but... the dynamics are happening and, and, yeah and it all just comes together we made a an effort on this one uh we didn't record anything with a click track okay which was a huge pain in the ass uh. we'll probably do the next one without a click track too but we wanted it to have this natural push and pull no no section on the song is like perfectly on time um or in any of the songs for that matter, but that's kind of on purpose because we weren't holding ourselves to being like metronomes. We wanted it to breathe and move around. Ultimately, it makes it more difficult to put layer everything on top of that. Sure. Because you don't have a, you can't trust what you're hearing right now. You have to anticipate what's coming to understand, you know, with slowing and speeding up. And, and that, that makes part, it you like know, a living thing, though. Yeah. Totally, yeah. you know. And that instilled, or it, it, it put some fear in me because I want everything to be perfect yeah. as best as we can okay. because it's a representation of us and of me and I'm like if this sucks and I suck then mm-hmm. you know but Jacob was very adamant he's like we gotta we gotta do it without a click like he is incredibly creative and powerful and knows how to use dynamics and I think that he feels constrained by having to be metronomic yeah. and and, you know, I don't think any of us are even good at being metronomic. Mm. Like I, I, I recorded something at my friend's house the other day for a little song that we were working on for fun. And I played to a click and I was like, I suck. At this. <laughs> I'm really bad at this, you know. Uh, I need somebody to look at and all right, that. Um, right, right, And we even changed the way we perform live because of these songs to where I'm shifting away from the audience so that I can see Jacob and I can see Joe. And Joe... It's completely perpendicular to the audience. Okay. He 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 turns ninety degrees. Uh, that's just because he's scared. Ah, okay. <laughs> Sometimes he faces. He will just look at his amp and just play. But I like it. He's just doing his thing. He's, yeah. He's mysterious. Well, Miles Davis turned his back on the audience too. Yeah. And Mike Shite. Yeah. You know he he's facing his band. I you know I didn't realize that until and he um, and I talked about that. I asked him about that, and it's basically what you just said it's he's just looking i mean they're they're just locked in together yeah he's he's honed in on them and they're communicating yeah and a band like yob they're super super psychedelic Mm -hmm. and not just in like oh they got a delay pedal and like a wah it's not like that at all it's super it's totally it's uh cerebral yeah where it's all this upper field stuff Mm -hmm. happening while they're playing and that's you know i see bands that um have coordinated light shows and they have like banners covering their amps and so you don't see any they're all playing into little kemper profilers or max effects <laughs> or whatever anyways so there's not a real amp that's great but it's just not for me i'm looking for something organic and if we could play in the middle of the room uh-huh, right. and have everyone around us right. that would be super right. cool right. you know right. so then we could not even look at the audience we mm-hmm. can just look at each other because that's how we practice um, just all facing each other. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, we're like a triangle when we right, play. Right. Um, and I have noticed that nobody in the audience seems to care that we turn away. Um, no, I think people get what you're doing. Yeah. And you know, 
I mean, I haven't seen you, so I haven't seen your audience. Yeah. But I I get what you're talking. Well, about. you are an audience member too, just the same way that I am. <laughs> yeah. And when I see a band that's you know not necessarily facing directly towards me, as long as they're good, I don't give a shit. No, you know? absolutely. One of the great things is and going you know going back to Yob, not to talk about Yob a lot, but we could because I do that sometimes. <laughs> I tend to do that. They've been playing together for so long, and they're so good, and they're so good together that just bearing witness to that, to that level of communication, that level of musical intimacy is special. It's it's a privilege. I don't need any of those guys to acknowledge me from the stage. Yeah. I need them to do what they're doing. Yeah, um, they're not like, what the fuck is up, right. Oakland? <laughs> Intimate is a really good word. That's something that I'm striving for. Yeah, okay. And with the difficulty of the material that we've been writing, as it progresses more and more, yeah. Um, I want to. I want everybody to feel like they're we're all there for the same purpose, and that we're yeah. all going to be, because you know, intrinsically, a live performance is for the audience. I want them to know this is for you. Um, it's also for us, of course. We're not. It's. I wouldn't do it if I didn't want to. Sure. But intimate is a really, that's something that I'm striving for where I think that'll come with cultivating a, a bigger fan base and having more, having the people who have been fans solidify more and mm -hmm. understand that they're a huge part of it because they totally are. Well, that's uh, the thing, you know, watching, again, watching Yob, I never feel separate from them. Mm -hmm. I never feel that, the, I don't feel that that disconnects them from the audience. In a weird way, I feel like, it kind of brings brings us in to this sort of ritualistic thing that's going yeah. on. It's like we're all they they wouldn't be doing that there in that moment if we weren't all there to be a part of it. So we're all sharing this thing. I hope this doesn't sound insulting, but have you seen those videos of the like the guy will go out to the field and play the trumpet and all the cows gather around? I have not seen that. <laughs> no, there's so there's so many apparently cows love music. Okay. People will go out and like play a a trumpet and all the cows will come out and just watch if you play and that's kind of that's kind of what it's like yeah. uh, i'm you know i'm not like i said i'm an audience member too and that's kind of like for lack of a better word that's kind of magical mm -hmm. it's like holy shit you know that's what 100%. that's what i feel like i'm like oh i'm yeah. being drawn right you know i'm floating towards the stage right now there's something happening and i need to be i need to see it and i need to be a part of it pied piper kind of thing totally yeah. and if i can go play a trumpet for a bunch of cows, you know, I would, but yeah. instead I'm going to have a bunch of other people come around and we'll listen to some music together. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your vocals, um, okay. how layered they are, all the harmonies. Is that you doing that? Are, are you like, is it my voice? Uh, are the harmonies your voice mm -hmm. or is there somebody else in the band who's also singing on top? No, the diving bell is all me. That's all you. It's okay. all me. Okay. Um, and same with Choir of the Low Spirits is on okay. me as well. Uh, the other vocalists appear on uh, the two EPs, uh, okay. Reflection Pool and Shallows. Um, if I could have the other guys in the band sing, mm -hmm. I would. They're just not, they don't want to do it or yeah. they don't feel like they can. And I'm not going to push them because uh, it's hard to sing and play an instrument at the same yeah. time. And yeah. this kind of allows them to focus and write, you know, 60% of my writing is the guitar playing and 40% is the vocals and mm -hmm. they get to do 100% on their instruments Got it. Okay. which is they're powerful they're yeah. doing their thing um, Diving Bell is yeah all me I was at at certain points I thought like oh, it might be cool to have somebody come and jump in on a harmony but I ended up recording all the vocals by myself at home 
which wow. kind of okay. sucked. Um, but it was kind of necessary because of how much work went into it. I didn't want to be at the studio eating up uh, Patrick's ah, time. Okay, Patrick right. Hills from yeah, Earth Tone has engineered everything that we've ever done, mixed it, stuff like that. And he's insane. He's the most humble, modest person you've ever met. But inside is like brewing. There's something. Mm. He's like a Brian Wilson or something from Beach Boys. Like he's just, <laughs> he's a psycho inside. Mad genius. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he actually plays guitar on the record. He does mm. uh, at the end of the diving bell. There are these really triumphant guitar harmonies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote one. I was like, this is sick. I wrote this. And then I said, can you play something over the top of it? And in five minutes, he had a companion piece mm. to it. Wow. And he just sat at the computer, listened, and it's nothing for him. I thought about having some other vocalists on there, um, but I was recording it at home, and it was this long, arduous process that was really tough, and I didn't enjoy it really at all. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, fuck this, they're done, you know? The only thing that I redid was um, in Waltz, those first verses were sung, uh, the singing was really quiet, almost like a Chelsea Wolf. Mm type of vibe where it's like huge guitars but the vocals are just like little thin strips over the top and jacob said no Uh, i fought him on it i was uh, like no you don't understand it's supposed to be this chelsea wolf vibe and he said uh i like it better when you uh the way you sing it at practice and so we did it and he ended up being right you know that was the last thing that i recorded uh vocally was i went into the studio and banged it out in 20 minutes or whatever Initially, the the huge vocal thing, you know, the layers and the harmonies right. of that was uh, kind of born out of insecurity of not thinking my voice is good enough. Okay. So I realized if I just do six layers of vocals, <laughs> then I sound <laughs> super good. You know. There've been there've been a lot of comparisons to bands like Alice in Chains, um, which I kind of get. But where I keep going, and I hope this is not this won't bum you out because it's not meant to. I go to like Michael Ackerfeld and Opeth. Oh, okay. Especially. Somebody uh, somebody told me I, sh- I should listen to Opeth after they heard some demos. Okay. A friend yeah. of mine. Um, and so I listened to Opeth for the first time after we recorded the record. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I get this. Like, yeah, I see where they're coming from. But yeah, I've only listened to okay. one Opeth song wow. ever. Okay. <laughs> um, and Alice in Chains, I don't have a relationship with that band. Like, heard the big ones. Yeah. Now I'll go and listen to... To just the greatest hits i'm not gonna lie i listen to like wood that's my favorite alice in chain song uh rooster i mean is an incredible song um and then some of the other ones i have the um the mtv unplugged okay and but i bought that last year that's the first alice in chain cd i've ever owned or okay. anything and i totally get it i see where it's coming from and now we're doing all these kind of more call and response things which is definitely um an Alice in Chains vibe. And when we released our first album, somebody said on Bandcamp, like, this is a band made up of only Jerry Cantrells. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's not bad, you know? And uh, for all the people who like the band now, I will say the first review we ever had for anything we ever did was a 2.75 out of 10. Wow. <laughs> from some, like, Spanish <laughs> review site, and they were just like, Alice in Chains, Alice in Chains, Alice uh-huh. in Chains, Alice in Chains, Alice in Chains, and I was like, they said the music was repetitive and boring, and I was like, okay. Mm. So we still talk about, we still say 2.75 out of 10. Right. We say that to each other fairly often. <laughs> Jacob loves to bring that up. I don't know why. He's proud of it, I guess. Okay. 
Um, I'm not. <laughs> I need that. I need to be held up by the, the, well, the praise of others. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. it just clearly wasn't for that guy. But, totally, and I know that. But yeah. at the same time, I was like, "Well, fuck you, then. Don't even write right. a review." <laughs> yeah, if you can't say something nice. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, vocally, who? I mean, who do I like? Torch does definitely does some harmony stuff. I love Torch. Their new album, Admission, is so fucking sick. Um, and they're one of the better live bands that I've seen, too. Mm. Where they were just manic. They would stop, stop a song and then start a song instantly again mm. and just like okay. barreling through it. It was like they had a gun to their heads. They had to play all the songs that they could play. Um, ooh, Jared from Big Business. Mm. Big Business is this like crazy mystical idea to me because i listen to their songs and i go how did it even occur to them Uh (laughs) to write something like this they have a bunch of songs they have like a a song on each record i feel for the last couple albums that are really heavy on the vocals and the layering and i just love the way that jared warren uh composes and arranges the vocals for the songs they're so cool and i'm just like fuck I'm getting there to where I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm just, I'm getting more creative. There's bigger and bigger harmonies and not, and it's not necessarily about going taller, but going wider and making like more interesting arrangements. And cause I could stack 12 vocals on something if I wanted to, but it's not necessarily going to make it better. It's like, how interestingly can I use the parts? And a lot of that was call and response where I'm singing the first line, letting it trail off, and then the f- second line comes in, mm-hmm. and all these underpinnings and stuff, and that's actually the hardest part for me is the vocals, because um, they almost never come first. They usually come after the guitar um, and the lyrics, uh, even after that. So in this album, I agonized. I was like, the lyrics have to be really good. Yeah, and the lyrics are really good. And that's there we else. go. <laughs> We're done <laughs> here. Something else I really wanted to. I, I hate asking the question like, "Well, what inspired this?" But I mean, there is, there's definitely a tone. Um, totally. And there's a visual element, I think, to your lyrics. I mean, it, you know, there's it, there's a really great use of imagery and sort of um, ambiguity of even kind of how some of the lines run together. And I mean, like one that I even um, noted down because I was kind of so so taken by it is is in the diving bell. It says, um, "Breathe deep in waters of purity, lungfuls of what is to be." Right. Yeah. So it's like, okay, are we breathing deep within the waters, or are we breathing water deeply in? And I mean, but it's all about that that purification kind of thing and it works like the the image of it works either way um and it's just it's it, it's really beautiful however um yeah you are meaning to put it forth um but I, I i spun out on that for a while well it's definitely a little more enigmatic over time because i think my intention changed a little mm. bit initially it was like breathe in the water fucking you're being purified by the right. water you're dead that kind of stuff yeah, because ultimately then, uh, you're dead. Yeah, well, it became more of like a uh, mantra. There's Breathe Deep appears, I think, 12 times in yeah, the song. Yeah, a lot of times, yeah. And even the metaphor of the diving bell is mm-hmm. uh, you're completely submerged in water, and yet you, there's a pocket of air. 
that's defying the laws of nature, but it's also super claustrophobic. Right. Um, I'm really terrified of deep water and mm. submerged things. Uh, I think one time Jacob and I, Jacob has the same thing. We went on, there's a, a subreddit called Thalassophobia, which is the fear of deep water. And it's like a gauntlet. You have to go look through these images and see like what, I'm like, no, that doesn't freak me out. And then you'll yeah. see something and you just yeah. grip your chair. In particular, there's this image that I think of all the time about a, a ladder or a staircase inside of an oil derrick or an oil rig. Mm-hmm. And it just goes straight down into the water and the light eventually fades away and mm-hmm. you can't see it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, God, oh yeah, I hate it. Yeah. And uh, more of a literal, real-life sense, there's this memory that I have of swimming in my friend's pool, and we had a big bucket, like uh, the kind of bucket that you would put water balloons in or something, Mm -hmm. and we would hold the bucket over our head, floating in the water, and then the other person would jump on top and push you all the way down to the bottom of the pool, and you'd have like a, a moment or two of just like weird clarity where you're down at the bottom of the pool completely dark and you're just hearing your own breath inside this little Mm. bucket in the water and everything sounds super bizarre and i kept thinking about that um, when we were writing that record for whatever reason it's just a memory that came up i have no control over what i think about you know in terms of stuff like that and i was like that's a really interesting feeling because it's you know obviously if you listen to this record there's tons of dichotomy it's dynamic it's contrast there's it's uh, it's like a system of a down record mm-hmm. you know it's huge and then it's small and then it's huge <laughs> right. and then it's small and it's fast right. and then it's slow um which i love they're an incredible band and yeah it's it's the same thing it's the diving bell is this incredible uh, serene isolation and it's meditative and uh it's you know it feels ancient in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And it's also like claustrophobic. It's terrifying. It's isolating in the bad way. And it's threatening, mm-hmm. you know, uh, because I have, I love water, but I'm scared of, mm-hmm. I'm like Bruce Willis and unbreakable. Like mm. something's going to happen. I'm going <laughs> to fall in a pool. And I'm going to drown or something. Um, and so that metaphor came across. It's really powerfully to me. And then it became sort of what was dictating how we went forward with the album because originally it was called open sore closed mind Mm. um which is way less vague and more direct and just like bad (laughs) bad not in like quality it's shitty it's a shitty name it's like it's just the vibe is clearer yeah and i think this one is more um it's more like a lure Mm -hmm. Mm. you know like hey what's over here and then you grab it and it's like oh fuck what am i into now and so the final pieces of the puzzle came together kind of late. The diving bell. The song was also called Open Sore Closed Mind for a little while. And also the song Halo, the second song, was called um, Open Sore Closed Mind yeah. at 1.2. Right. <laughs> so it was something I was like, this is a great idea. We're going to keep this name. And then eventually it was like, I don't feel this name anymore. Okay. You know? And then once we had the cover painting done, yeah. um, it totally solidified this thing of like it has to be connected because so many lyrics are about water you know so now we have this kind of peaceful but very ominous image of a kind of stone woman with nails with in her nails. head it's peaceful to it's you. a halo of nails <laughs> you see those you know? nails in that 
Well, I mean, the water is beautiful. <laughs> oh, there's yeah. roses floating sure. in the water. Yeah. And then in the back, it's this, there's some type of cataclysmic event happening. And that's, you know, there's a lot of uh, anxiety metaphor on mm. the record, mm. which for me is kind of just kind of like it's like having a pilot light on. You know, I'm going about my day, but there's this <laughs> pilot light on that's like, you know, something is inside you that is it can't be extinguished, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, so the, the cover of the record, which was done, I think even before we went into the studio, because I, I broke my arm and we had to postpone the mm. recording date by like six weeks. And within that time, I believe the painting was done. And I really like that part of the process of having the artwork. Like, okay, this is what we're striving towards. This is what we focus on. This is like a talisman. Yeah. We derive some type of uh, inspiration from this. And so the record now through influence of that, the record sounds very like blue and green and right. pink and all this stuff. And we're writing new stuff and it feels very like red and orange. And mm. I don't, I you know that's just like a abstract way of communicating it, but it works for me. That's why I connected to Baroness early on. <laughs> Just thinking like, that, yeah. <laughs> it totally works. It yeah. influences you. It, it works. Um, and mm. jumping back, way back to you talking about um, Yab, I saw Baroness live and they were just like, they said nothing mm. until 45 minutes into mm-hmm. their set. And mm-hmm. then they had a little chat and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's how you should do it. That's just like fucking play the music. Right. So that's kind of what we... We're, I, I, I'm writing the line of like seeming like a, this is serious and not trying to be too cool. But yeah, Baroness was a... There's totally Baroness influences on this album too, especially the red album and the blue album. Those okay. are like the ones that I focus yeah. on. The other ones are good, but the red one and the blue one are... Those were the two that yeah good for me too. And lyrically too, um, the blue record has incredible lyrics. Um, I kind of wish they would still write stuff like that. Mm. But it's that kind of Baroque quality... Uh, in Chrome Ghost, we really rely heavily on uh, this kind of like jaunty, like three three quarter time. Where it's like one two three, one two three mm. one. I would say like eighty percent of the songs are in that time signature, and that really it has this like pulsing, lurching, like curtsying. I always yeah, it's like a, a waltz. Yeah. Dum, bam, bam, dum, bam, yeah. bam. And so we use waltz um, rhythms in a doom metal band and that's why we sound super weird and uh-huh. it's hard to kind of pin down but it's totally become second nature at this point for me where that's kind of how i think i think in threes because that's what feels comfortable and it also just sounds cool i like the way it sounds you know well it's one of those things also that just kind of it works it's become something you guys do it's become part of your your sound in it it's one of the things that makes you unique i think so and, and it's like it's kind of on accident like we didn't yeah. try we're not like we've got to do it like this right. it's more like i came up with this riff of course it's in three yeah so we move happens. forward with that what's coming out and it just sounds cool i like the way that it sounds um and jacob's always coming up with some cool rhythm to go along with it and we fill it out and make it work and trick people into listening to a <laughs> like a polka song they just don't know it you know just expanding people's horizons oh totally yeah so what what is next uh well in the real world we put the album out on transylvanian tapes tapes sold out really quick Mm. we're gonna do another run of 100 tapes which is really exciting 
Um, the day after the record came out, um, Tom from Seeing Red Records reached out to me. Mm-hmm. And it was this weird situation. Um, right around the time that we started talking, my grandma had died. Mm. And then I kind of was like, I needed some time to just think. It was overwhelming. There's a lot of stuff happening. And it was working. The prospect was working with somebody who I didn't know. And James, I know, I've known for a long time. And um, unbeknownst to me, he'd been wanting to work with me this whole time. Mm. And I mi- misread his signals or something until he finally was just like, dude, do you want to work together or not? And I was like, oh, I had no clue. Um, and so I was kind of hesitant in working with somebody that I didn't know. But I reached out to Shadow Limb from Chico. They had worked with Tom. I reached out to Body Void. They had worked with Tom. And then, um, of course life being the way that it is i reached out to him and he was like hey i need some time a good friend of mine just passed away tom correct okay so it was this really weird convergence of we were both just having a hard time but uh we finally got the ball rolling and uh there will be vinyl pre-order coming up pretty soon okay and they're the the proofs that i got gorgeous like one is a it's like the seafoam one. It's white with uh, like a aqua blue splatter. And the other one is a black record with like pink and dark blue swirls going through it. So okay. it's like the sunset in the back okay. of the wow. album cover. Awesome. So it's very, we wanted, I want to offer, if somebody's going to pay 25 bucks for a record, it's got to be nice. Yeah. Because yeah. they can just go on Spotify. Like people don't give a shit anymore. Sure. So you got to make it is, something nice. This is through Seeing Red. Through Seeing yeah. Red Records. That'll be happening really soon. I'm okay. not sure when this comes out, but um, I'll just say it's soon. Good. And All then right. if you're listening to this, just check and make sure it's not already out. And Seeing Red, I mean, the Michael Demers from Bog Haunter, hmm. they have an EP on Seeing Red, and he was my last guest on this podcast. Oh, great. And Body Void, you know, I had Will on yeah. um, last year. Um, I don't know Tom at all. I've never talked to him, but it seems like this podcast and seeing red have some connections at this point (laughs) yeah you'll start cashing royalties yeah exactly (laughs) um and then uh one of the craziest things that's happened because a lot of crazy shit has happened since the diving bell came out because we had zero expectation we released it with no fanfare we gave a week's notice Mm. on facebook we're like hey we're gonna put out another record in a week because we were just tired. We didn't like the way that it sounded anymore because we had slaved over it in the mixing stage. And we were just all, honestly, we just felt kind of burnt out. Just about needed it. to be done with it. Yeah. We, yeah. I was like, fuck this. I'm done. <laughs> um, and then we put it out. And all of a sudden, it was like, well, we had a huge help from James. I will not uh, disqualify his, uh, I won't minimize his contribution because people started covering it. And then people started covering it unprompted. And then eventually, Mike from Yob. Somebody sent me an email. Was like, "Hey, I found out about you guys from Mike Scheidt. And I was like, "Do you mean Mike Scheidt from Yob?" He's like, "Oh yeah, he's posted on his Facebook yeah. page." Yeah. So I go on his Facebook page, and he wrote this incredibly nice little blurb about us. And then we had already been gaining some steam, and then we gained even more steam. And then next thing you know, we're gonna have a record release show with Yob uh, March nineteenth in Sacramento at Harlow's which is a cool venue with good on-stage sound for the bands. Okay, good. Um, and yeah, I'm, I mean, Mike and I have had a little bit of correspondence, and he's just as nice as everybody says that he, he is. is. And, yeah. Um, super exciting. And then uh, we basically are done booking a tour for May. Uh, we're going to be playing a couple festivals. I'm not sure that I can announce yet. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to do another tour in September, and we're going to have a bunch of merch that people can come out and buy, too. Awesome. So, yeah. And good. then uh, in the uh, ethereal world, we've 
definitely been writing new stuff too because um, it's like uh, why would we stop writing new sure. stuff sure. Um, and the new stuff is it's going to be similarly maximal to the diving bell where there's tons of layers and stuff mm-hmm. but we're also going to be we've been talking for a long time about adding different instruments and so there are some cool little things that have never been on a Chrome Ghost record before. Like we had acoustic guitar, which has never been on a Chrome Ghost record before. Jacob played the Waterphone, which is this trippy little like horror movie soundtrack. I saw thing. that. I didn't know what that was. Yeah, yeah it's a <laughs> it's a water pan. Okay. With a neck on it, it looks kind of like a some alien bong or something like that. You put water down in this tube, and it it's in a pan. Like you know when you're washing dishes and you clank the pot and it goes. Doom. Yeah. It's that, but okay. it also has a bunch of spines attached to it. And you can pluck them or you can use a violin bow. Wow. And it's for making these horrific, like horrific uh, screeching noises yeah. and shit. And um, so we use that to create some atmosphere and just like do some weird stuff in one song. And then Jacob also played um, the electric bass on Visions, the last track, but he used a bow. Okay. I we tuned the strings. Bass. Yeah, we tuned the strings to the same pitch and then mm. he underpinned some of the parts. Um but we're talking about, I mean, we're going to get like Mellotron, nice. acoustic guitar, yeah. brass stuff. You know, the first song we're working on has an overture. Mm. So it's a encapsulation of the, the, the melody of the chorus done with, you know, instrument, different instrumentation, brass and Mellotron and stuff. And then you get this one of the heaviest songs we've ever had. And then the chorus comes back and it's the same melody from before, but it's got this like my bloody Valentine guitar on it. So we're just like trying to, I love taking all these disparate elements and trying to make them work and make somebody like it by doing it well enough. You know, it's like having a Korean taco, you know, (laughs) it's like, I like Korean food. I like tacos. I don't know about it. And then you, are they too great taste? taste Dude, great sometimes taste? it does not work, and sometimes it definitely does, you know? Jacob will tell you. <laughs> Fuck, don't you even get Jacob. me started. We've already been like, he's like, yeah, I want to do an overture too, but it can't just be, you know, some pads. It's got to be like, we have a, need a distinct melody, but he drives that. So he okay. pushes me to go out and fish for the ideas right. and I bring them back. And so, and then we have um, seeds. I guess for a couple other songs and it's it's not going to be so far away that it won't sound like the diving bell but it's definitely going to be like interesting it's going places for sure so that's exciting yeah, yeah. and of course I'm always in promotion mode where I'm like check out our new album but in my mind I'm like what's up with the next album uh-huh. how are we doing sure you've moved on so yeah pretty soon in our lives we're gonna have a bunch of note cards on the wall of song structures because that's what we have to do it's it's it becomes um somewhat clinical at some point dry erase board like tool has correct (laughs) um and yeah we had to do that especially for the song the diving bell we had 18 note cards on the Mm. wall for all the individual parts so but then we eventually take them down we don't need them anymore sure so we have to teach ourselves the material and then uh we'll have new stuff and then it's all one thing yeah but until then just come to a show or you know buy the record or something like that and i will think do all of it. the above <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i'm sure there's a free record in your future or something like that well, too i never ask for anything like that nor do i ever expect it and i don't give things to people that ask for them <laughs> <laughs> we're a good match all right well uh this has been uh, a real pleasure thanks for coming all right mm-hmm.